had a little bit in the Bible. So we're going verse by verse through the book of Matthew. We've talked about the section of children and applied it, but let me just add a few more nuggies into this. The idea isn't that we are to have childish faith, not to be childish, but we are to be childlike in our faith and trusting. Because when Jesus pointed to the children and said, hey, don't stop them from coming. I'm never too busy for children, Jesus is saying there. He's not saying, I just want you guys to act childish all the time. What Jesus is wanting us to do is trust like a child. And I've got the greatest example of this. You can see it on my Facebook right now. My three-year-old Joy's birthday was a couple weeks ago. And what she wanted to do was ride on an airplane. Now, if you don't live by a private airport, you would never see these. I never saw them until I lived in that area. These guys get their little small planes and they fly around there in the country. And my daughter one day saw them and she goes, airplane, airplane. And I go, yeah, you'll go on one of those one day. And I'm just thinking like on a trip one day, you'll be on a big plane, you know? But uh, I thought she would forget about it. We would move on. But the next day in the morning, how many know kids don't forget? She woke up in the morning. Are we going on the airplane today? Airplane today? And in her mind, I owned an airplane. I must have had one, you know, because everybody has one in her mind. She sees them on TV. I, I, I have a car. I have an airplane. And if you just think about it for a, for a second, that should make sense, right? Like in a child's mind, why don't we live on the moon? Why don't we just see their imagination is awesome and they trust us. But I had to tell them, daddy doesn't own an airplane. I just can't go pull one out and go fly in one right now. I said, I got to go look into this. So I looked into it, called the private uh, airport up, you know, and they had this thing that they would do for basically about $250. They would fly us around. Well, that's a lot of money for our family. So I, I just knew there had to be a better way. So as I was talking to them, I was trying to see, is there different deals or whatever? And they go, oh, well, by the way, not for your three-year-old, for your older children, there's this thing called Little Eagles. Retired pilots come out there, fly them out in their private planes, and the kids get to see it and be up in there, maybe touch the controllers in the air, and it's fun. Your, your older kids can do that, and it's on this such and such a date. I said, well, what about my younger kids? The one that really wants to go is three years old. They said, well, you, you either got to pay for this package over here or just go over there and just hope that they'll do something different. Well, when I go over there to check it out, I thought there was just going to be a few people there chilling. The place was packed. There were lines. And then I walked up, and I brought my little daughter, and I tried to tell the guy, like, she's young, but she'll be good. I'll go with her. They're like FAA rules and this and that. They can't do it. It has to be eight and old. Her, blah, 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 blah. So I could tell the look on her face, the three-year-old. She knew joy that it probably wasn't going to happen. But I said, don't lose faith. It's not over yet. Daddy has still some negotiating skills here. Daddy, Daddy can possibly work this out. So I signed up Bethany and Hannah. They're about ready to do the whole spiel with that, what's going on there. But I got the rest of my kids that they want to do it too, especially joy. So we're waiting, we're waiting, and then all of a sudden, I can see some commotion going on by where I was talking to the guys, and they bring me over, and they go, here's a young commercial pilot. He hangs out on the weekends with us. He'll take up your kids. All you got to do is rent the plane, and I'm thinking, rent a plane? How much is that? You know, just rent a plane. When was the last time you heard that? Just rent a plane. So I'm like, okay, how much is that? I want to have college education for him too. Uh, you know, not just trade it all now to get him up in a plane. And he's like, no, I got a deal and all this. So they wanted to do 250 for 45 minutes for this package they had. He said to rent the plane for his way for an hour would only be 130 bucks. I said, let's do it. 
We get in the plane. It's only a four-seater. And by the way, they're smaller than a car, and they're older than a car. They don't even have air conditioning, kind of shutting the door, and the guy's right here, and it's like you're small in this thing. And like, how high are we going, sir? Thousands of feet. But listen, my children, especially Joy, she just hopped right in, sat down, and you can see it. If you can watch the video, she put on the headphones, had her little microphone. She was ready. I'm thinking I got to be ready to meet Jesus. She's ready to go have fun. Childlike faith, childlike faith. And then we get up there and do the whole thing. I take a picture of my house from up there. It was fun. Then we fly down and Nancy gets in with the other kids and then the two kids get back. We all went on that plane. Childlike faith. Not childish faith, childlike faith. What God is wanting us to do is to trust him and to believe that he can work things out and that it's going to be okay. And that's why children are to be a part of our services and a part of our life is because they remind us what it's like to trust. She trusted daddy that daddy was going to get her on that plane. And that plane wasn't going to crash. That was going to be a fun time. And how often do we get into a place where we think we're smarter than God? You know, maybe we get around that teenage faith, you know, we got a little bit of acne, you know, going through puberty, and now we're going to tell God how to do stuff. No, we may mature in God, and that's wonderful, but never mature from the point of being his child. Never mature from the point that you trust him like a child. So I wanted to add that in there. And then the last thing that we see here is that the Bible says the kingdom of heaven belongs to these. So if a child were to die, God forbid, where do they go? Where does their soul go? According to the Bible, where does the soul go? Heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Now, does that just count for kids who are brought up in church? No, we believe that God is merciful to children all around the world. If anything were to happen to them, we also include in there the handicapped who may not be able to have the mentality to understand things, that God is merciful to them. Now, here's the big question that comes next. When are you old enough to go to hell? And that's a good question. I talk to teenagers all the time, and I can look at most of them, and I go, yeah, you're definitely old enough to go to hell. Yeah, just remember that. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Here's what the Bible says. Nothing. We don't know the age. We can guess, but we don't know. So I like to say where the Bible is silent, we should be silent. The best that we know is that children go to heaven and that once you know better, you can go to hell. So somewhere in that age, we call it the age of accountability. Uh, there's going to be a transformation of your responsibility and for you to stand before God on judgment. I think the Jewish people put it right around uh, puberty time, bar mitzvah, that kind of age. And that would be right around the age I would put it. So I would say 12 and under, I would have a good sense in my heart as a pastor to say, yeah, more than likely you're going to heaven as God's general grace is concerned. After that, 13, you're, you're on some dangerous ground there, so make sure you live for Jesus. Any teenagers here living for Jesus? All right, because you're old enough to go to heaven too, amen? Uh, the Catholic Church used to teach limbo and kind of like these children's souls would be caught in between this place. It's not quite purgatory. It's not quite heaven or hell. They just made up stuff. Let's not make up stuff. Uh, it's just better to say we don't know, but God is good, and he's always kind and loving to children, and he's also going to judge fairly when we know better. And I know when I turned around that age, 13 or 14, I knew better. Can I hear an amen? And I know most of you do as well. So let's always pray for our children, and as they become grown adults, or young adults rather, let's keep, teach, keep teaching them the things of God. Now let's go to verse 16. 
Today we're going to learn about the rich man. And uh, most of us are probably like, good, I'm not rich. It's not going to have to do with me. Where's Bill Gates? Let's make sure he gets this message. No, what you're going to find out very quickly is that all of us can relate to this rich man. And practically speaking, most of us are rich compared to the people around the world. America's poorest people are still better than a lot of middle-class people in other countries. When I went to India and Nepal, just those two countries, for example, their middle class, and I don't say this to disrespect those beautiful nations, but their middle class, their working class, their average Joe, as it were, lived like somebody in the projects. And I would even say the person in the projects had it better because most of them didn't have air conditioning. Uh, most of them didn't have any kind of medical care. And you can be in the projects and have air conditioning and have medical care. So they didn't even have that. But literally, they would work night and day, night and day, just to have what would be you know, somewhat like project living. And so unless you were raised in the projects, you're probably rich to most people in the world. If you were raised in the jets, you know what it's like to be, you know, going through some hard times, okay? But even in the projects of this culture, you're still better off in a lot of ways because like I said, they can't refuse you service. If you go to the doctor, you can get free lunches for your children at school. How many know that's still pretty good? Oh, you all quiet in here? Y'all want to take a trip to India and go live where they were living for a little bit? Somebody's like, yeah, I want to go be a missionary. No, I'm talking like, like go in that living style. Like, let's be honest, that, that would be hard for most of us, okay? How many of you are blessed to live in a nation where even where our poor are taken care of? Can I hear an amen? Doesn't mean everything's perfect. I'm just saying, you know there's opportunities where there's not around the world. Okay, so let's get into it. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you ask about this being good? Or why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. So we're going to hear this whole story now. I'm going to try to read it without interrupting so you can get the idea. A man comes, he's rich, and he asks Jesus, what commandments must I keep? And then uh, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commands. And he goes, which ones? And then Jesus replied, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. How many believe those are good commands? Amen. Verse 20. All of these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? How many know he's lying? Thou shalt not lie is a command. You know you haven't been doing all that. He says, all of these I've kept. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect. Somebody say perfect. Thank you. Go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. That's a sad story, isn't it? Here we see in our own book someone walking away from our Jesus and saying, you're not good enough for me to give up everything. Oftentimes people look at our book and they think it's just a bunch of fairy tales. Jesus is walking on water. Oh, everybody's following him. No, no, no. First of all, you don't crucify somebody you love. Right? So he had to have been making people upset, which most people don't understand the Jesus that makes people angry. Uh, if you don't understand the, the Jesus that makes people angry, just go out with me street preaching and you'll see what that looks like. Because I'm a nice person, but when I just say Jesus' words, people get angry. Can anybody relate to that? God, God said in the beginning, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. People get mad. People get just, just, just that alone will get me stoned by Oprah and all of her followers, right? Let this get on the 6 o'clock news that there's actually a pastor who still believes in man, one, one, one woman, one man in marriage. That get, makes people mad. 
And we don't understand a Jesus that people could walk away from because many of us here came to Jesus like you came uh, to Disney World. You know, this is all going to be fun. You know, everything better be perfect. If it's not, I want my money back. And a lot of Americans come to Jesus with kind of the rich man's attitude. Like, what do I have to do to just get in and enjoy the day? That's all I want. How much for the ticket? You know, that's what the rich man is basically doing. He's coming privileged in a sense because why didn't he just join everybody else and sit down and learn the Sermon on the Mount? Hasn't Jesus already taught these things? Hasn't he? Come on. Yes, he has. Why does the rich man know enough about Jesus to know he's a great teacher, but he's not great enough to follow? He has to have a one-on-one. You see, I think a lot of you can relate to the rich man because you might kind of have that privilege that, that our wealth and freedom gives us where it's like, well, unless the pastor tells me, well, I got to talk to the manager. Well, you know what? I'm going to write my congressman. And a lot of that stuff is good, but that comes from our having privilege and identity in a prosperous nation. You can't go to North Korea and go, I want to talk to the manager. I want to talk to the school board. No, they're going to indoctrinate your children whether you like it or not. And here this man had been around Jesus hearing the teachings, but that wasn't good enough. He had to call along Jesus aside and be like, I want to talk to you. You're a good teacher, but I want to know what you're really saying. That's how we have to read in between the lines here because that's why Jesus checks him. Have you noticed Jesus is a little sassy with him? Go back up to verses 16 and onward. Jesus says, well, why do you even call me good? Why are you even asking me about God uh, and all of these things? You know, don't you know these things? You see, Jesus doesn't give him a straight answer, does he? Jesus asks back, like, why do you ask me about what is good? Because if you really believe I'm good and I'm equal to God the Father because I'm God the Son, you shouldn't need the extra meeting. And a lot of times after service, listen to me, everybody, I love you, but people will wait until the prayer workers are done and I'm walking off and they'll be like, pastor, pastor, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you as if it wasn't good enough to get it from this way, as if it wasn't good enough to get it from the altar workers this way. They've got to talk to me one-on-one. And so they would almost do the same thing. Like, good pastor, can I ask you a question? And I can see myself going, well, well, why are you asking me about good? Who's good? You know, what's good? Why are you even asking me that? Didn't I just tell you everything that was good? Can I hear an amen to that? That doesn't mean I don't like to talk and hang out. Of course I like to talk. I talk for a living. I'll be talking for a long time today, even after the sermon. I'll be talking tomorrow at chapel, then go out to the streets and talk. I talk, talk, talk. But the point isn't whether or not I like to talk. The point is whether or not you're listening. And if you're not listening, if you think somehow a private meeting with me is going to be how you make your decision. That's kind of the attitude this man has. And then Jesus goes, well, if you want to know, then just keep God's commands. Just keep his commands. Now, we know there's so much more to the story than that. Jesus talked about a relationship. He's already talked about how to pray the Our Father here, an intimate prayer to our Father in heaven. He's taught us so many things already about, you know, the good Samaritan, these these wonderful things. It, It almost seems like Jesus is a bit annoyed. Why do you call me good? You want life? You want eternal life? Just keep the commands. You know why he's doing this? Because that rich man thought he deserved something different than all the other people, like the widow, like the one caught in adultery, like Peter, that smelly fisherman. He thought because he was rich, he deserved something extra. And Jesus is just kind of tossing him to the side going, no, I don't play that game here. And I want to say in our church, it doesn't matter if you're the biggest tither or the smallest tither, if you're the newest member, the oldest member, we don't play favorites like that here. If you want to do the work of God, jump in the harvest, get knee deep in the work with us, and let's have fun together. But don't try to use your privilege 
privilege or experience, your age or whatever, to try to usurp over us. We don't appreciate that, and I don't even do that. As a matter of fact, when I introduce myself to new people, it's I'm Joe. Some people who've come who haven't, uh, for the first time, haven't seen the speaker yet, and I introduced myself during the time of worship, they don't even know I'm the pastor. I just shake their hand. Why? Because it doesn't matter, does it? I'm not trying to usurp my authority. So don't try to get up on, uh, over on the us and the things of God. So anyways, he's a rich man, but he doesn't have a name. How many know rich people love to be known by their names and their famous names? Donald Trump, you know, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos. I love how Matthew plays on this. Doesn't even tell you his name. You know what that teaches us? Is your wealth will mean nothing to God on judgment day. You can't get up there and go, uh, um, uh, uh, one seat in heaven, please, for Jeff Bezos. Uh, Angel Gabriel, snap, snap, uh, prepare my seat. I'm here. Uh, Donald Trump is here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you know, Hillary Clinton is here. Your name will mean nothing. I think that the author here, Matthew, purposely left out his name to say he's an insignificant man. He's poor in our mind. He's not wealthy in the kingdom. He's just a rich man. And let me tell you something. If you gain the whole world and all you are is a rich man, but lose your soul, you're nothing in the kingdom. So we hear this rich man coming to God, to, uh, to God the Son, asking these questions. Jesus is being sassy with him and then says, just keep the commands. And you can almost notice now in the conversation, if you kind of track with me here, he says, which ones? Oh, come on now. Just keep all of them, man. I mean, which ones? Which ones do you think God thinks it's okay to break? You can see this guy's being cocky. Which ones? And so what does Jesus do? He just names off the basics. Don't murder. Don't kill. Don't do any of these things. And you'll be good. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. How many know just loving your neighbor as yourself every day would be impossible? How many know you can't keep that every day? On your own, loving your neighbor as yourself. How many know that? So what Jesus just threw to him was just a few and said, let's see what he says next. Let's see if he takes this serious. Well, then he goes, I've kept all of these. And we know he's lying because thou shalt not lie as a command. We know he hasn't loved his neighbor always as himself. We know he hasn't always honored his parents. I mean, you never got a spanking rich man. Come on, let's keep it real. But he plays along with the man. So the guy goes, all of these things I have kept, what do I still lack? Now, I want you to notice this is key to why I'm interpreting it this way, because how did he know he was lacking something? How did he know? If he was with everybody else hearing the same exact teachings, wouldn't he feel secure that he was a disciple, he loved Jesus, etc.? Why does he now know after Jesus' short and sassy answers, something still ain't lining up? He goes, well, what do I still lack then? I mean, if that's all it is, just doing a couple good things every now and then, why is it I don't look like Peter? Why is it I'm not having the same experiences like the person next to me? He realizes his good work way of religion is not working. And now Jesus drops it on him right here. You want to be perfect? Yeah, you want to, you want to do this right? Because he's already commanded his disciples, be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He drops it right on him. He goes, you want to be perfect? You want me to get serious, dude? Then sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven and start following me now. You want to know what it's about? Let's go. Let's go. Let's put you to the test. Because you playing around, calling me good, buttering me up, pulling me on the side, telling me you've kept all those commands, that's not getting you in. 
You know you're not right. You are lacking something, and that something is called eternal life, being born again, saved, and sanctified. And so you want to be perfect? Let's go. Sell everything. I want you to understand this. Perfect is the only way you get into heaven. No imperfect people will get into heaven. Not one. The standard to get into heaven is perfection. Now, those of us who know the end of the story, can we do it by ourselves? Of course not. Who makes us perfect? Christ does. We become perfect because he is perfect. I am now like him because he became like me on the cross. Amen. He took my sins that I might take his righteousness or have his righteousness. We made a divine exchange there. I didn't deserve it, but he took my death. He took my punishment so I could have his life. Amen. So he has now dropped it on him and said, you want to have what all of them have? You do what they have done. Peter left everything. Remember, they set down their nets, and they may not have had a million-dollar nets to lay down like you're going to have to lay down, but they laid down everything. And that poor widow, she gave everything she had in the offering. She's following me too. You can read between the lines, right? Look at the audience there of Jesus' time. You can point them out. And this adulterer, she left her life of tricking. And John, he left his life of being a mentor to become a master fisherman. And and Judas over here and this one, they have all left everything to come follow me. What you got to leave is all your money. And look what happens in verse 22. When the young man heard this, and you can just put young man for any young wealthy person you can think of. When, um, what's, what's one of these basketball stars? Give me the one of the most... LeBron James, thank you. I'm like looking at Shamal. I'm sorry to be stereotypical. It's like, ask the African young man who's the famous basketball player. Go. Yes, LeBron James. Give me one of the newest ones. So I want a new... Re- first, who? Lonzo Ball. There we go. And is, is Lonzo, the, does he have his own show too on Facebook? Okay, I know that guy. Okay, thank you, sir. Because I want to go young, because, you know, technically LeBron James is getting older, but thank you for getting my back, youth director. When the youth was letting me hang, you got it. You got it. And, and, and you see breaking stereotypes, Latino man into basketball, not football, not football. Who won the World Cup? Do you know who won the World Cup? Okay. Did it win? Mexico win? No. Okay, you don't know. Now, now, look, you can make fun of the gringo. Do I even know who wins Cubs games? No, I don't even know. So, anyways, we're, we're breaking stereotypes here. Okay. Is my face red? I'm almost kind of embarrassed, but I got out of it. Hopefully, I'm doing better now. Keep going, Pastor Joe. Keep going. Okay. Um, when we look at that young man, Lonzo, Lonzo, what's his last name? Bali? Ball. When Lonzo Ball signs that deal to become this high-paid basketball star, what he now has is an option in his heart to live for God and make money or not live for God and make money. But what in his mind remains the same? I make money. I can go to church. I'm still rich. I don't go to church. I'm still rich. See, the rich man never equated his money with his idol. He wanted to take his idols with him and serve Jesus. But what Jesus said is, you can't take your idols with you. You can't bring your love for money with you and follow me. And so it says the young man went away sad because he had great wealth. And I want to see if there's anybody here that can relate because maybe you don't have great wealth, but do you have great opportunity to have a good life without God? I mean, let's just be honest. In a lot of your minds, you're probably thinking to yourself, I don't have to tithe. Keep the money. I see other people don't tithe. They have more money. 
Makes sense. Keep more, keep the money, have more money, right? How about this? You know, I see people getting married in church, but then they get divorced. People get married out in the world and get divorced. Why do I have to marry a Christian? Well, marry somebody at the bar. The rich man in his privilege had opportunities. And think about how many opportunities you have. And the, and the reason why we miss this as supposed Christians in our culture is because we think Jesus is a genie. And if Jesus doesn't do what we want, we're going to take our wealth, our opportunities, and go do it somewhere else. I don't have to do it God's way. I, I got a good life. I have friends. You know, maybe somebody else like Peter. Peter, you know, he was probably drinking beer all the time, smelling like a you know, fish because he's a fisherman. That dude probably needed Jesus and to give up everything. Not me. I've got opportunities. And do you know that most of the people I meet today in American culture who call themselves Christians, who say they believe in God, you know they're just like that rich man? I'm not a bad person. I don't murder anybody. But then we say to them, follow Jesus, give up everything. And then what do they say? Nah, I'm okay. I'm okay. That's the thing they'll say. I'm okay. And I always want to say to them, without Jesus, you're not okay. Can you relate to that? Because I don't think you got to have a great amount of wealth to relate to a rich man that thinks you have opportunities without God. It's a deceiving thing, isn't it? When you don't see judgment come immediately. When you see people make bad decisions and yet live a good life, it's deceiving. It can make you think, well, really, what's so wrong with not you know, going to church, etc.? These other people are doing fine. And that's what the rich man thought. I'm sure he didn't say to himself, I'm now going to hell, I'm walking away. No, in his mind was... I asked the teacher how to get to heaven, a little bit harsh. He told me to sell everything. I'm just going to go find another rabbi over here that will chill and just let me be who I am. He didn't understand the consequence of trading Jesus for his wealth. And I wonder if people understand that here today, if you understand that you can trade things in your life that look good for Christianity and Christ. And you might, you might see those things work for a while. It doesn't say he instantly left and he got hit by a, you know, a, a chariot and then he died and that was his lesson. No, just walk it through. What if that was your friend? What if this rich man knew about Jesus because he was your rich friend? And now he's been hanging around like you, but he has more questions. He wants to try to figure it out better for his own self. And now imagine him walking away, and then you follow him through the rest of his life. Let's say he never dies poor, so he has money the rest of his life, his privilege. Let's say he has a great marriage. Let's say his marriage goes 50 years, great marriage. Remember, he's a good guy. Does he still get to go to heaven, though? Why does the good guy go to hell, according to Jesus? The quote-unquote good guy, the one who doesn't murder, who doesn't really disobey their parents all the time. You know, the good guy. Why does the good guy go to heaven? Because we're not born again, and without being born again, we're really not good. The illustration I've given you before is imagine your car is broke down, it's impossible to drive, and you're being pulled by a tow truck. Let's say there's 100 chains on there. It doesn't, a, a chain links. It doesn't matter which one of those links break, you're not getting pulled anymore. You're now separated. It didn't matter how many things he was doing right, doing right. One disobedience with his parents, he had been separated from God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you get the illustration there? He was separated from God. God, and there was nothing he could do to build that connection back up. Now watch verse 23, because if you didn't get what I was just saying, you won't understand why the disciples start to freak out. 
Because Jesus says to his disciples, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye, the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. He says that to them. I mean, can you imagine the intensity here? And sometimes people look at the history of this and they go, the camel was really a camel's gate and the eye of the needle was what you had to go through. No, no, no. There is no metaphorical analogy here. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. You see a rich man? Let me tell you how hard it is for them to go to heaven. Grab that cam camel. Let me get a sewing needle. Start poking it in the eye and you start pulling it towards where I'm poking it. How many know that would be crazy? Just put it in our worldview, a horse. Do you think a horse is going to keep walking this way if I'm poking a needle in its eye this way? It's going to freak out. It's literally going to be impossible. Now the disciples totally get the seriousness of the matter. When they heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus, you're freaking us out. Because now you're not negotiating with the rich man. You know, some churches would say, rich man, well, I don't want to offend you. Come on back next week. Let's make it seeker sensitive for rich people here. Let's make sure we don't offend you. Let's make sure we make all the people who are undecided about Christianity come every week so they never have to feel any pressure. They're scared because they're like, Jesus, we're kind of eating the same food every day. We smell. We don't have a lot. A rich man could help us. Like, Jesus, don't you understand rich men can make the revolution go faster? We need their help. And you're just letting him wander off. And instead of just going after him and trying to, like, negotiate, we'll sell half. Sell half. You know, you know, we'll talk about the rest later. You just let him go, Jesus. And then you told us it's impossible for him to be saved. Who then can be saved, Jesus? They're getting close, but they're looking at it the wrong way. Look how Jesus clarifies their misunderstanding. He then says, with man, this isn't possible. So you're right, guys. It's impossible for the rich man to want to sell everything. It's impossible for Joe, 1995, to stop cussing. It's impossible for the homosexual to stop having homosexual desires. It's impossible for the drug addict to get free on their own with my own strength. It's impossible for you to stop sinning and be perfect Without God. Finish the sentence. With man, this is impossible, but what? With God, all things are possible. So how do we get saved? By saving ourselves? No. How was the rich man supposed to respond to that kind of treatment? Help me, Jesus. Help me to give it all away for you because you are good and you're the only one that is good and I trust you with my life. That's how he was supposed to respond. He was supposed to respond like the woman caught in adultery, like the poor widow, like the fisherman. He was supposed to hit his knees and start worshiping and going, I can't do it, but I want to, and I don't know how. And Jesus at that moment would have said, I'll do it. The illustration that I love to give with children, let's get uh, Hannah to come up. Can we give it up for Hannah as she comes? Mom, do you have a penny in your purse? Give her a penny. I want to give this illustration. Many of you have seen it before. I don't generally come up with illustrations, but these are some good ones here. And normally, uh, the ones I have, I didn't even come up with. You know, like people give them to me. Oh, you got a pen? Can you? Yeah, let me just borrow this. This is almost worthless in our culture, right? One penny. It's almost entirely worthless. Like even to this point right now, like 2019, what can you really even get with a penny? Very few things. Maybe penny candy, 10 cents will get you a couple little, you know, kisses, Hershey kisses or something at a candy store. But it's almost worthless in our culture. 
This is the equivalent of what that rich man had to God's kingdom. This is what he had. And my daughter's going to represent the rich man. Now hold on to that tightly. Now let's pretend that this is an American Express, Express black credit card. It is not. This is my bank account card that gets declined all the time because I forget to put money on it. And I got a big family. Don't feel sorry for me. Just, just, you know, just know it doesn't have a lot on it. You know? um, so this, let's pretend, is the American Express black credit card. And what that means is, is that there are certain clients with American Express that they take off a limit. So like Bill Gates doesn't have to like call up the, the credit guy and go, can I get the limit raised? You know, it's like, we know you're good. Just whatever you put on it, just pay back. You're good. Because, you know, Bill Gates is not going to be carrying around cash everywhere. He's not going to be like a Vander Holyfield carrying around, like whatever that guy carries around. Like a, no, not Holyfield. Floyd Mayweather carrying around a million dollars in a briefcase. Most people do not do that, right? So they need a card that can handle their wealth. And, and American Express will give it out to people and say, we trust you. Whatever you spend, pay back. Okay, imagine that this is the kingdom of God. What the rich man literally did, and if you can just kind of walk back, towards this way, walk this way here, walk forward, stop right there. The rich man walked away with his penny and didn't get this. See, in, in the kingdom of God, he was a fool. In the kingdom of God, he was a fool. He was a rich fool, but he was still nonetheless a fool. And that's why Jesus says, what does it profit to gain the whole world and yet lose your soul, okay? But now watch this. Come on back here. Now imagine this. If I said to Hannah, if I said, I want to make this exchange, okay? If she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to. Without using force and manipulation, is there any way to have her give me that penny? I said without using force and manipulation. So, you know, you know, give me the penny. Without force and without manipulation, is there any way to override her will? No, and God gave us that principle. Why? Because he operates on that principle. God will not use force or manipulation to change your will. Look at the garden. When, the, when the, the situation in the garden was about ready to happen, Jesus didn't show up and go, hey, don't do it. That's the devil. This is what's going to happen. Look at this virtual world. Everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket. There'll be rape. There'll be murder. Stop, Eve. Don't eat the apple. No, he didn't use force and he didn't use manipulation. All he used was his word. Don't eat of that tree because the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Trust me, it's up to you, but that's what I'm telling you. The rich man had his heart holding on to his wealth. And there was nothing Jesus could do to change his mind other than give him the word that he gave him. Sell it all, give it away, follow me, you'll have treasures in heaven. Now, the disciples understand this, and they're like, oh my goodness, who can really be saved? But this is the reason why they're asking that. They're thinking that to be saved like the rich man is to do all of those things on their own and then show up one day and go, now save me, Jesus, as if you're going to clean your car before you bring it to the car wash because I don't want anybody to know at the car wash I have a dirty car. I got to clean it first. They're thinking now, oh, man, we might have misunderstood Jesus because he's been talking about grace, grace, grace. But all of a sudden now he's telling this man to be perfect and keep commands. None of us can do it. And Jesus brings them right back to the beginning. He goes, guys, nothing has changed. It's still impossible. But with God, it's possible. So now watch. Imagine if all the good works from giving his food, uh, giving his uh, money to the poor, if all of that was represented by the wealth of the kingdom. He may not have the strength 
to give away everything. But all you had to do was make that exchange and say, Jesus, I trust that you'll do it. You'll help me to do the good work. And then she'll swipe that credit card of the good works. You see, my good works, everybody get this, don't miss this. My good works as a Christian never come from me. They always start with God. But I'm in cooperation with God. And so my deposit, uh, the deposit he gave me to do good works is from the Holy Spirit. So I'm never going to come to a good work like giving money to the poor and go, I can't do it, God, that's impossible. He's going to say, no, I gave you the strength to do that. I gave you an unlimited amount of power to do that. Uh, God, you want me to break up with this boyfriend or girlfriend? I can't do that. That's impossible. No, just, just take my card, swipe it. I'll give you strength and you'll keep moving. God will never ask us to do one thing that he won't empower us to do. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Thank you for that penny. Awesome. Let's give it up for Hannah. She did good too, right? In closing, look at what Peter says. Oh, sorry about that. Look at what Peter said. Peter answered, we have left everything. Ben, would you come, please, to follow you? What then will there be for us? Can you imagine Peter at this point? He kind of takes a deep breath. He goes, okay, well, we've done that, Jesus. But what is there for us then? Because we don't have anything but you. Peter was a married man. He had been traveling, not neglecting his family, but putting God first, not being around his family as he once was. That's hard to not be around your family. Others had given up food and money and privilege and all of that. And so now Peter, speaking up on behalf of them, goes, okay, well, we have done that, and you've given us the strength. We, we're here. Well, what will there be there? What will, what will be there for us? And Jesus says now what I think is some of the most encouraging words, and you got to get it. He takes his focus off of earth, and he points it back to heaven and what's going to come from heaven to earth. Because remember in the Lord's Prayer, we are to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says to Peter, or rather to them, to everyone now, he says, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. At this moment, we get an insight. We don't stay in heaven for long, people. God comes back to judge the earth, and he sets up a kingdom. He'll be the king, and then there'll be 12 governors. Ruling on thrones. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? And here's what's beautiful about that is because we know Judas killed himself, so who took his spot? I believe it was Paul. So all, all 12 seats are filled. And then look at what he says. Because, you know, I'm not one of the original 12. Let's keep going. He says, and everyone. Somebody say, I'm an everyone. Say it again. I'm an everyone. Thank you. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Come on, that's me. That's you. We're going to receive that back. So you may be here today and go, man, my mom doesn't want to serve God. Yeah, but you've got 100 moms now in this place. You might say, my brother doesn't serve God. You've got more brothers in this place than you've lost. I, my sister doesn't serve God. No, you've got more. And also it even says fields. The Bible says whatever we give up for his kingdom, he will give back to us, whether in this life or in the life to come. Because let me tell you all, mansions aren't in heaven. Mansions are on earth. 
He said, I went to go prepare a place for you. He's preparing the blueprint up there, but it's coming down to be on earth. We store up the treasures in heaven, but the Bible says heaven comes to earth. So all that Jesus went to prepare, all that we're receiving because of the good deeds that we've done in cooperation with the Holy Spirit come onto the earth and we rule and reign, the Bible says, for a thousand years. As a matter of fact, if I was to say there, the one repeating message of Jesus more than any message in the entire Bible, more than love your neighbor, love God, uh, make disciples, more than any of those messages, you know what the number one thing was? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. It's coming, get ready, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God's within, it's not without, it's coming. Why? Because all those other things function in the kingdom. We love God because he's the king of the kingdom. We love each other because we're to treat each other in the kingdom as the way he treats us. It's all kingdom-based. And if you go back to the Garden of Eden, were we meant to be disembodied spirits? No, we were meant to live on earth in the kingdom of God. What comes back at the end? The kingdom of God. And notice this, verse 30. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Don't miss this because this is where it gets real exciting because there might have been some people at that time going, Oh, okay, cool. So if we were with you, Jesus, then that means we're going to be the most powerful in the kingdom. And, and Jesus is like, no, some of you guys are slackers, but there's going to be some people born in the year 2000 or 1977 and will live in 2000, and they're going to go so hard for me that they're going to pass you up in the kingdom. They might have been born last, but they're going to get first in that day of reward and that day of, of kingdom status. So other than, everybody get this, other than Jesus' throne, which obviously is not changing, the 12 thrones of the apostles not changing, everything else is up for grabs. What do you want in the kingdom? And let me say this one last thing because I feel like we miss it so often. It's like, okay, that's cool, but that doesn't really impact my life. You know, that's not going to be for a while. You're missing it. How many know when they taught you stuff in elementary school, it's impacting your life even still today? Two plus two is, how many know that's impactful? But you had to learn it way back then, right? How many know you learned stuff way back then? T-H-E, the, B-O-Y, boy, R-A-N, ran. How many are glad you learned that when you were in, in uh, elementary school or whatever they teach that now, preschool? How many are happy? You see, right now, you might be thinking to yourself, man, that's so far away. Man, I can't even imagine that. Talk to my mom and dad in their 70s and ask them how fast it went by. Your life is going by fast. Talk to my parents before you go. They're in their 70s and they live in a retirement community with people in their 80s. My dad will tell you, they still don't even think about death because they think they'll live forever and it goes by so fast. So that's for somebody else, that's for somebody else. I'll even tease my mom right now because she moved into this retirement community and one of the first things she said is, everyone's so old. Everyone's so old. Well, guess what? People are looking at you, Mom, going, everyone's so old. But you never think you're the old one, right? I look at my high school friends and I go, dude, they look old. And then I look at myself in the mirror, ah, where'd the gray come from? I'm old. Your life is going to go by so fast. I am preparing you. Jesus is preparing you. It's important to put it all in context. Don't trade your soul for earthly riches. 
Give your life to God. Put in work for God. Don't use the excuse, I'm too busy. I got too much stuff going on. I'm not saying be neglectful, but be willing to give everything up for Jesus to reorder your life because there's eternal rewards to be gained. Amen? Let's give it up for Jesus as we stand. Somebody say hallelujah.